Welcome to another edition of GovTech Today. I'm Russell Lowry. I'm Jen Seha. And together we try and bridge the divide between .com and, and .gov. Uh, up for us today, we're going to talk AI. Hot topic on everybody's lips. Super Buzzword sexy. of the day. Super sexy um, topic. I thought we'd start with... Uh, when people say AI, they're talking about a whole range of technology, and it can get it can get very confusing really quick. I think um, would it be fair to say in the popular mind when we talk AI, people are thinking Chat GPT. Totally right. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, I love to think about AI as a whole and, oh, it's been around, you know, for decades. And it's like, has it though? But it really has, you know, our autocorrect on our cell phones, our spell check in our Word documents, that's AI. Um, but yeah, the hot topic of the day is generative AI. And I mean, even that's been around for a fair amount of time. I mean, right. I, you know, I'm thinking back to when IBM Watson played Jeopardy and like made a run at all of the people that were like superstars from from Jeopardy. So it's been around for a while, but it's accessible to the masses now, including government. So generative AI or gen AI is uh, sort of where we're at today that everyone's kind of grappling with. Right. And that's. I was listening to a podcast, The Data Radicals, with uh, Alation and the founders of Tamer, and they were talking about um, how they'd been working on AI since 1986. <laughs> and so some people have thought extremely deeply about it for decades, and some people had chat GPT, uh, they, you know, they started typing some stuff into that just a few months ago. Um, and that's the range of expertise that I've seen in California, but you've had interesting conversations with people around the country. Um, so how would you characterize um, sort of the state government response to the challenge of AI, opportunity of AI? I mean, it's kind of both, right? And it's sort of how do you capture that opportunity while also mitigating the impacts of the challenge? And I think that's where governments are at right now. It's it's the Wild West in many ways. Um, even within our own state, it's everywhere from it's blocked on PCs, you can't access it on your work devices, to you can use it free and clear. Just don't put anything like social security numbers in it. Um, different states are taking different stances on it. So like the state of Maine blocked it statewide and said, we're going to put a pause on this until we can get our arms around it. Um, the Vermont has a ton going on related to AI, which, you know, tiny little Vermont. Um, but, you know, I'm seeing it used in some counties. The use cases are pretty limited. So there was a NACIO conference a couple of weeks ago, National Association of State CIOs. And I mean, they had a whole panel on AI, generative AI. And, you know, what are you using it for? Uh, it's everything from chatbots to we're doing legislative analysis and tracking with it, uh, which I think fabulous use of it. We're drafting duty statements um, to get out job job fillings. And so it is being used. But I do think that where 
I mean, government, again, five to 10 years behind the rest of society, I think we're a little ways off from being able to use it in a really productive and like keyword here, safe way in government. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure that's the case. The, the way I read the governor's executive order on AI, he, he precluded um, any state agencies from saying just a blanket provision. No, he said, uh, Tell me how you're going to use it. And he gave like a 60-day window. Right. So they have to think about how they're going to use it, which is totally different um, than if you didn't have to come up with that. You can just put the, you know, put the guardrails up and say we're not going to use it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it. he was really clear, and you're right. Like, this is where we are going, and we're going to go in a pretty quick way by government standards. You know, 60 days, we want to know what some of the use cases are. But we also, and I'm sure you read this in the executive order, too, we want to know what the risks are with this. We want to know if there's any bias in these systems. And, I mean, I think that's the thing that's always, honestly, always holding government back, right, is our our appetite for risk as a government. Um, and that's going to intersect with our ability to adopt this innovation really quickly. And, and rightly so, in a lot of ways, there are unique security concerns that come along with AI. There are bias concerns that come along with AI that all have to be kind of tackled before you can let the leash off and say, have fun with this. So when we think about some of those concerns and challenges or problems, uh, you see the private sector grappling with them. Are there specific uh, challenges or fears that the government has that you think are going that are going to have to be worked through? What are a couple? What are some of those? For sure. Gonna- um, part of it is you know the integrity of the data that you're pinging against, whether it's ChatGPT. ChatGPT, there's. There's no framework. There's no bounds on it. And uh, we've seen cases where it's turning back stuff that never happened or turning back completely incorrect and false stuff. So, I mean, the the disclaimers are going up like this cannot be relied upon in and of itself. We don't want AI making any decisions, but recommending decisions is fine. And then, you know, you have to insert a human in there somewhere. All of this has to be figured out as it relates to governance, right? How we're going to use it, which language models we're going to point to. Do we point to an internal one where, you know, companies are doing this right now? You know, this is our version of chat GPT. This is a California gov GPT and you can ping against this data um, but as with anything on the internet, right, like, oh, I, I read it on the internet, it's got to be true, is kind of the joke. And that's what we're looking at right now. That's the data. I was I was chief deputy at a, a large state agency, uh, oversaw 2 million different businesses and permit holders. And I remember often going to look for data and you would it was just a mess. It was often easier to go to Google and find something than hunt and peck within our within our system. And so, uh, correct me. This is the the way I've come to think about it over the last few months of trying to wrap my mind mind around government approach to AI and tech. But organizing the data, we are not going to ship every piece of data that we've got, which is massive, and try and ping against that data when we we need some system for organizing all of it, cataloging it, and then saying, uh, what's the reliable data? What 
do we want to ping against? We're not going to want to throw a bunch of stuff out, but do we need to migrate everything to the cloud or just right. the good stuff to the cloud? Are we going to ping against the stuff that's in the cloud? Those kinds of decisions, uh, we're going to have 50 states that are going to be doing it slightly different. We're going to have the federal government doing its thing. we got 58 counties, 491 cities in California. Um, do we have the tech talent in all of those agencies and all of those government spaces to figure this out? Oh, it's there. And I think especially when you look at the opportunity to partner with industry, okay. it's certainly there on industry's side of it. So so you see a hybrid, some public-private partnership I do. working together to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, and I mean, that's it's pointed to in the executive order. I, I think that's the way the governor envisions it as well. Um, you, you can't do this on your own. You have to partner with industry. They're working on this report that's going to come out right now. It's going to point to use cases. It's going to point to risks. And industry is working hand in hand with our government officials to come up with those use cases and that report. Uh, you know, I've had clients in meetings this week on, on this exact report that's going to be coming out as a result of the executive order. Uh, and then in the, in the new year, we're going to see procurement guidance. So, hey, State Department, you want to buy this? Here's what you need to ask for. Here's what you shouldn't be asking for. Here are the liabilities that are associated with this so that our state departments and agencies can actually buy the tools that are going to help them do this. But as with anything on data, garbage in, garbage out, right? Like you're only, your answers that are coming out of this are only going to be as good as the data that is inside of these systems. So I think the governance of how that comes about, what we're looking at and how we're using it. It's going to be really crucial for the success. I know we're all figuring this out uh, and in real time as things speed through, uh, but there have been headline risk. And I know agencies, Department of Finance, the governor are going to be really cognizant of headline risk failure of technology. Um, oh, yeah. And the state has a history of that. Um, have you seen anything that's going to give us some pause that we're not going to throw a bunch of money, billions of dollars at the latest shiny object and get uh, stuff that's not useful, doesn't serve the state's needs or has some high profile blowups? How are we going to avoid the sort of the headline risk? Yeah, sort of. The double-edged sword of innovation is is bias and is these failures, right? Uh, there are going to be some cases of bias and people will point to them and say, this model was biased in this way. So the transparency on how those biases happened and how we've corrected the data sets so that they won't happen again it's going to be really important from a procurement and a public sector, private sector partnership standpoint. But what I love to look at is, you know, we're not just going to throw the baby out with the bathwater if we find one thing wrong with it. And I think the state and governments in general do that a lot, right? right. Like, this is wrong. We're not ever using this. And it hinders your ability to innovate long term. But what I hope we do is compare it to the status quo. Do you mean to tell me that that analyst that's been working on that program for 35 years is sitting there and is exhibiting no bias in any of their decision making? <laughs> sure. Impossible, right? There's right. absolutely, there's bias in human nature at, as it so happens. So are our levels of bias in using a tool higher than the normal levels of bias that we've all grown to accept, unfortunately? And I mean, I think that's, 
where I don't want to see one thing go wrong and us change an entire policy because the potential, if you do embrace this, is just so tremendous that I don't think we can ignore it. Oh, it'll be it'll be interesting. I had a I had conversations this week with uh, some legislative leaders who have uh, sort of led the legislative response to AI. And when you look at the legislation, uh, they they seem to look at Europe and long for European level of regulation uh, and and feel like we're behind already. Uh, and they been looking externally at how, how are we going to keep corporations from misusing it or abusing it. And it's been a it's been a struggle. It was interesting, but it's been a struggle to get legislative attention on how the state is going to be used it. But one of the things that was crystal clear to me, there seemed to be a gap between what legislators were thinking and what the governor was thinking as far as the governor kind of giving a direction to move forward and legislative leaders saying, uh, expressing pause. The big, and I don't know that this is True, but I think the big point of demarcation is the legislature was not entirely comfortable with private sector actors having access to state data. So a a language model, training a language model on state data would be very exciting to a chat GPT, would be a lot less exciting to some of the folks I was talking to in the legislature. Um, are we able to move the ball on chat GPT if we don't give private sector language models access to state data? Or how do you, how do you see that? I mean, the private sector will it. build you your own language model if okay. you want it. Again, it's only going to be as good as the data that's in there. So if you only put our state data in it, you're missing the experiences of governments around the world, right. of, of decision makers around the world, of corporate America. So I think it it's only going to limit the state's ability to really reap the benefits of these language models. I mean, but the industry can design whatever whatever the the client, in this case, the government wants from them as it as it relates to guardrails, specific data sets. Um, I don't. I don't know that, I mean, a lot of this is going to fall on the individuals, right? Uh, if I'm if I'm an employee, and I've seen memos in our own state government that kind of address this, like, look, don't drop personal information into any of these language models, whether it's within <laughs> your own department or anywhere else. Like, we don't want social security numbers. We don't want tax information. Like, we don't want that info in these. Um, and that's been the direction from some like, yeah, you can use it, but don't put anything private in there because that's a bad that's bad news. Right. That's well, a HIPAA violation. Right. Um, but well, that's where I think the the data management, the data cataloging and setting governance rules mm -hmm. is so important. My hope would be that state agencies would look and say whether you're an AI whiz that's been thinking of it since 86, or you're an AI novice that's uh, recently considered what is a lang large language model. Uh, whatever you fall on that spectrum, you need a robust data management system in order to control the flow of information and give yourself the best chance uh, to either avoid a mistake or when something happens to know what happened and 
and prevent it from happening in the future. But if uh, if you if you haven't put that unsexy background work into a data management system, uh, it's it's going to be a mistake for sure. And I mean, I love how you touched on it because the legislature's involvement in this, you know, we're we're on a break now, but I guarantee you when we go back, there's going to be a number of those two-year bills that are resurrected focused on AI. So, you know, from a legislative standpoint, do we take the standpoint that California often does and say, no, we're going to get ahead of the federal government here. We're going to do something ourselves and set the model for states and the federal government across, you know, the world? Or do we wait for something from the feds on this? Because frankly, like internet doesn't stop at our borders. These models don't stop at our borders. Maybe Congress should get their act together and figure something out. I mean, we've seen out of the White House, there's, you know, blueprints for responsible AI. They're looking at this too. So I don't know that it needs to be a race to how we in California use it versus how public sectors across our country and across the world use it. Uh, But I mean, I am really excited that we are getting our act together. It's a little embarrassing. I read somewhere that 35 of the top 50 companies in AI are located in California. Wow. How do we not lead the charge on this, right? And so, you know, to hear, like, Vermont's ahead of you guys. Like, that's never (laughs) where you want to be. Like, I love Vermont, but Well, that's what I wanted to dive in a little bit because I haven't heard that California is leading, although I think the governor's executive order was a big step in that direction. Um, when When we say leading, what are some examples of what other states are doing that as we think about our California context, might come into play. Sure. Who, who would? It's, who would? What are some leadership examples from around the world? It's country? getting that governance that we've agreed is so crucial and important here. It's getting that figured out and getting that in place, so that if I am a state employee using this, I know what I can use, I know when I can use it, I know when I can't use it, and I know what the decision-making process behind that is. Um, I think where we're going to land on this is. We do need to have some guardrails around the data that's in our language models that our state government is using. We do need to have human involvement and intervention. No one wants machines making decisions. There has to be someone that they can point to that's not a computer that made that decision ultimately. Can this information guide your decision? Absolutely. That's what we've been hounding. Data needs to help inform decisions. But Ultimately, at the end of the day, a human has to be involved, and I think everyone's okay with that. Uh, But, you know, the upside, right, the workforce challenges that governments are facing everywhere, this could help alleviate a lot of that. AI is not taking our jobs. It's taking the work that we don't have time to do as a workforce. And I've looked at it as an opportunity when I've – you've had this experience. We've met – people in state government who really meet the definition of public servant in that they're extraordinarily talented. They can make multiples of what they're making in working for the state. Uh, everybody's so hungry for this workforce, um, and yet they choose to serve. Uh, and that is a wonderful model. I've thought about this as an opportunity to leverage that expertise as hundreds and thousands at this point of vacant state IT positions um, 
I don't know. I don't have a solution for filling all of those. Right. Uh, but I think at least part of our response needs to be to empower our public service heroes with uh, every tool they can to uh, provide as much benefit as possible to fill in those gaps. For sure. Um, so it will be interesting to see sort of where the legislature goes on this as they come back at the state level, at the federal level. It'll be interesting to see if Congress moves on this. I mean, they've recently had some hearings on it. It is on very different sides of the coin, though, right? Like, how are we going to regulate this? Let's shut it down, as you mentioned, versus let's use it for everything. And is it going to take over the world? Um, but I think it's really going to be important that, you know, if if we do get this executive order rolling, which we undoubtedly will um, sometime soon, in fact, let's have a leader. Let's have a state leader for this. Like, I've seen some chief AI officers uh, in different states. And I mean, that's the person, right? There's a body to point to that is wrangling all of this. I think we need that here in the state. And it can be a chief data officer. That position is vacant right now at the state. So let's fill it with someone who is of an AI mindset. Well, we could, I definitely, obviously, we we have that chief data officer position that's vacant. Do you think it makes sense to have a a separate or distinct chief AI officer in that there are so many implications for AI and it needs that specific attention uh, and just expertise that if, A chief data officer may be familiar, but they've got so many other responsibilities. Um, Do we need an AI czar or is it something that could be? Yeah, I think it can be the same person if you get the right person. Um, And that person's going to staff up their team with all the expertise, frankly, that they don't have. Right. That's always how you hire. It's like hire someone that knows something that you don't know. Right. Um, So it's going to depend on the individual. I've seen it live at the chief data officers. I've seen, you know, head of AI, AI czars, chief information, uh, chief AI officers at different departments and agencies. Um, It's going to be big. It's going to be massive. And uh, it's a big job. But data is a big job, right? Right. Period. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, And I want to finish with this, and I'll ask for your crystal ball about where you think we're headed in the 30, 60, 90, you know, next year frame. But but seems like every week we're seeing a a new development, a new rollout. Microsoft's incorporating it into their end product. I saw um, I saw an RFP uh, last week that that required you to to not have any gen AI incorporated mm-hmm. into your product. And I'm one, how would you know, but is that even possible? We're all using it in all, every app I buy today has a gen AI component, every new piece of tech. So, um, so things are moving so quickly. Um, is it moving faster than government moves? Regulation can move, or and or and certainly legislation. Just put on your crystal ball for us and tell me what you think um, from two perspectives. One from the perspective of regulation and and state agency. What kinds of things you you expect, and then legislatively, uh, do you think we're going to see uh, 
limitations on the state use of AI or regulation around state use of AI in the legislative cycle. I mean, unfortunately, I'm not super optimistic that government will ever be ahead of the curve on these issues. Like the executive order, fabulous step forward, also late. Like we've been using chat GPT for, you know, six or seven months now. It's like, okay, yeah, we should take a look at this. And taking a look at it it takes, you know, six months to a year. So government's moving quick, not quickly enough, not at the pace of innovation, which is always the case. Um, We're getting there. And, you know, I think in six months, we will have a better idea of, what that guiding framework, what those guardrails look like, what the state will be allowed to do and not do, how the state will purchase these products. Um, Because, you know, ChatGPT is free, but not the version that we're going to want our state departments and agencies relying (laughs) on, right? Right. So um, I think we'll be closer. I don't know that we'll be there. And it's unfortunate because if I'm a state employee sitting at my desk and ChatGPT is blocked or Bard is blocked, I'm going to go to my personal PC and do it. Like, that's fine. I'll just go. I need a summary of something. I'll have that look it up instead um, it, until we figure it out. It's putting us behind the curve in so many ways that we just aren't willing to put up with anymore. Well, I, I, we usually like to end these things on a more hopeful note, but in this case, it is what it is. It is what, but you know what? Like, I love the executive order. We've <laughs> been chatting about this topic for months now, and I love to see it. And I love our state CIO on that panel at NASIO talking about everything we're doing to regulate in, in a constructive way. I don't know what's going to come from the legislature. Like, we'll have to see. Um, but... I do think our sort of zero tolerance risk is detrimental to many new innovative technologies, this being one of them, um, and would just like to see that loosened up a little bit as it comes to using such a helpful technology as this. Well, thank you for pulling it out. That is a much (laughs) more helpful ending. And on that that note, (laughs) note, we'll end this episode of GovTech Today. Thanks. Thanks.